When we come to this time of year, and we have the opportunity to celebrate Purim, which is a holiday of great joy, but also of great trepidation. Another holiday where we're not certain if we were going to survive or not. I often wonder around Purim where we are in our own story. Are you at the beginning of your life, at the middle, or closer to the end? Are we at the beginning, closer to the creation of the world? Or do we feel like we're closer to the end, to the destruction of it? We don't know. Maybe there's some comfort in that, that individually and communally, we don't know if we're at the beginning, the middle, or closer to the end. But recently, I started thinking about, are we close to an ending, to some kind of destruction, because we all feel it. I could feel it in the trembling of Cantor Luck's voice when he sang the Misha Berach, the fact that we feel so close to the peril of our people and of all people. There's a story in our tradition of the enemy of the people of Israel whose name is Amalek, who lived 4,000 years ago. And Amalek was an individual and the head of a tribe called the Amalekites, and they were most famous for attacking the Israelites as the Israelites left from Egypt to freedom. And the Amalekites attacked the Israelites from behind, attacking the women and the children first. And the Amalekites become, and Amalek, the name, becomes this enemy of ours that follows us for the next 4,000 years. And in fact, Maimonides talks about the three mitzvot that are associated with Amalek. And we are told that we must remember what Amalek did to the Israelites, we must wipe out the descendants of Amalek, and we must never forget the atrocities of Amalek in that ambush on our way from slavery to freedom. Now, in the 5th century BCE, in the capital of Persia, in the city of Shushan, the Jews were marked again to perish. 2,500 years ago, their names were Esther, Mordechai, Ahasuerus, and Haman. Haman was an Amalekite. And we have ascribed that identity to people like the Romans, the Nazis, Stalinists. And perhaps even today we recognize Amalek when we see the face of Vladimir Putin. It is not difficult for our hearts to go out to those living in Ukraine right now, and especially to those who have fled their home country when so many of us come from there. I keep looking at the picture of my family in Ukraine in 1900, just before they got on the boat, the Wilhelm de Kaiser, to escape the pogroms to come to Chicago. And I'm thinking then about all of the people, the millions of people who are fleeing for their lives and leaving that same country to protect themselves and their families. So this week when we celebrated Purim and we read the words of Mordechai and Esther, we heard a day later from the president of Ukraine. 2,500 years ago, Mordechai had this message delivered to Esther. He said to her, Do not imagine that you of all the Jews will escape with your life by being in the king's palace. On the contrary, if you keep silent in this crisis, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from another quarter, while you and your father's house will perish, and who knows, perhaps you have attained to royal position for just such a crisis. Perhaps you have attained to such royal position for this crisis. I'm sure that the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, 
was very familiar with those words when he spoke in English to our country and to President Biden when he said, peace in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you and those who are strong. Strong doesn't mean big. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and the citizens of the world. So I wanted to share with you tonight two stories, both of which entail me being on a bus. I want to bring you back, as I said, that women have been able to become bat mitzvah for how many years? 100 years. And rabbis for 50 years. So I want to take you back to 1979. Okay, think about if you were alive. Who here was alive in 1979? Okay, good. A lot of you remember that. Uh, I was 13 years, old, 13 years old in 1979, and for my bat mitzvah, I was given a bracelet with the name of a refusenik, which was a Soviet Jew who was not able to escape from the Soviet Union in 1979. And I put that bracelet on in 1979. His name was Leonid Kelbert. And for me, there was so much resonance because my own family came from Kerch on the Black Sea in the former Soviet Union before they escaped the pogroms and came to the United States. Leonid Kelbert was a documentary filmmaker and he was imprisoned because, well, they took a documentary, made a documentary film about the Purim spiel that they did undercover in darkness. And there was an Israeli documentary made about him and about those refuseniks who refused to stop celebrating, held their own Purim spiel in secret, and then filmed themselves to say, ha ha, we're filming something that's illegal. And when he finally got to Israel, they made a documentary about him called Pur, P-U-R, not Purim, but the word P-U-R because Pur means fate or lot, his destiny. It was held in the balance. So I had that bracelet on from 1979 um, through college until 1987. And in December of 1987 was the largest gathering of Jews ever in Washington, D.C. It was called Freedom Sunday for Soviet Jews. It was the National March political rally in Washington, D.C., where a quarter million Jews gathered calling for the general secretary of the Communist Party, Mikhail Gorbachev, to extend glasnost to the Soviet Jews and to allow them <clears throat> to leave the Soviet Union. And the story for me about the bus is that of those 250,000 Jews that amassed, I was one of them. I was in Madison, Wisconsin. I was a junior in college. And all over, there were planes that were chartered and flown to Washington, D.C. And you have to remember, this is before cell phones, right? And computers, and that kind of communication. So the night before I got on the bus, we got on the bus in Madison, Wisconsin, in the middle of the night, I got a phone call from my mother in Chicago. She was getting on a bus in Chicago, and she said to me two things. It's going to be freezing when you get to Washington, D.C., so make sure you wear long underwear and a scarf and everything. It's gonna be so cold, and I said, like, who are you now? Like, my meteorologist? She's a Jewish mother. She knew it was going to be freezing the next day. And then she said, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, now, that's not a big deal today. Like, you just text somebody in D.C. My mom said, I'll see you tomorrow. I said, Mom, there's going to be probably a quarter million Jews. We've never been there. I'll, I'll talk to you when I get back to Madison and you get back to Chicago. So I put on everything I own, 
and I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, so we have a lot of heavy clothes because it's going to be freezing in D.C. And we get on the bus in the middle of the night, and we fly, and we take this plane to D.C. at 6 in the morning, and we get out of the plane, and it's 68 degrees outside. So I had to go into the bathroom at the airport. I took off almost all my clothes, and I'm carrying a bag of clothes with me, a coat and a hat and gloves. It's, it's a funny story, but it gets funnier because I'm mad at my mom, and now I want to find her. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm marching, but I am overwhelmed. I had never been in a crowd of a quarter million Jews focused on a mission, which was not funny which was linked to the fact that my family came from there and now there were plenty of people who needed liberation and freedom and redemption and we had to do something about it. Just before it was time to go back to the airport, the crowd opened up and there she was wearing a huge fur coat from Chicago <laughs> coming right at me and boy was I glad to see my mom because I could finally say, you were wrong about the weather, mom. But I didn't say that. We just hugged each other and cried. It was a powerful moment because we realized we had to do something and we, we were doing it. I want to share with you the second bus story, which is, uh, you should know last night was the uh, panel of, of Rabbi Betzinger and myself and Rabbi Carla Fenvis joined us and Rabbi Helen Cohn joined us and we interviewed uh, rabbi Sally Prezan, the first woman to be ordained as a rabbi in the United States, and she was ordained in 1972. So uh, I wanted to bring you to 1982 in Houston, Texas. It was the Union of American Hebrew Congregations Biennial in Houston, Texas, and I was 16 years old, and as the youth group president, I got to go to the Biennial with all the nifty kids. And so in 1982, we flew to Houston, Texas, and they would take us on buses from the conference center to Temple Emmanuel in Houston, Texas, and I got separated from my nifty group. So I was like 15, 16 years old, and I'm alone, and I realized I just have to get on one of the shuttle buses, but I don't know anybody. And so you have to realize that when I was eight, nine years old, I started thinking about becoming a woman rabbi. Well, I just thought about becoming a rabbi, but I was a woman. So slightly problematic because I had never seen a woman rabbi. I got on the bus, went to the back. I was surrounded by men except for the person sitting across from me who was a woman. And I thought to myself, didn't introduce myself, and I looked at her name tag, and it said Rabbi Sally Prezant. There she was. And I realized... Anything and everything is possible. Anything and everything is possible. And I say that to the little girls in the room and the boys, the young men, the young women, anything and everything is possible. A hundred years later, girls are becoming bat mitzvah every single weekend. Women have been rabbis for 50 years. I've been a rabbi for 25 years, all here at our blessed congregation. And I think about what it's like to have the blessing of darkness and of light every single day. But we have to celebrate the joys. And in the future, it said that we're only going to have two holidays to celebrate in Olam Haba. One is Purim and one is Yom Kippur, both which are so much about are we at the beginning, middle, or end of our life? Are we at the beginning, middle, or end of our story? So I want to remind us that the most important thing to do in our lives is to show up whether we're called or not. And sometimes we know better what other people need 
and sometimes we think it's a meal, and sometimes we think it's a holla, and sometimes we think it's a phone call, and sometimes it's just the most basic thing in the world, which is love and a hug. So I just want to share that I feel a great deal of pride being on our BEMA and knowing that each one of us has an opportunity to just show up and have that mitzvah really matter in a day when there's a lot of darkness in our world and a lot of people who could use our strength of prayers and our efforts. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.